the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation today with Rabbi Charlie Cohen, who is, of course, from Congregation Samach Adonai in Los Gatos. And Rabbi Charlie, great to have you with us today. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. There's a lot for us to unpack in our conversation, not only learning more about your congregation in the South Bay, but also some of your own personal stories. So let's start a bit there. Tell us a bit about your journey to first discovering who Messiah was and then eventually embracing him. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I grew up in a conservative synagogue, which is uh, pretty common in the, in the U.S. Most kids uh, probably would grow up in either a conservative or reformed synagogue. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no, no knock on them that, uh, that I kind of fit into the seeker category because, you know, Judaism has a very rich tradition and, uh, and, and there's plenty there to, uh, to embrace. But uh, I guess I found myself as a teenager uh, kind of wanting to know more spiritually. And uh, I got the whole liturgical part down but uh, I wanted to know more. I guess you could say more about God, to know more about God, who is God. And uh, it's not, as I say, it's no knock on conservative Judaism, as though they do not teach you that. But uh, it put me into, I, I think, that seeker category. And, and once in that seeker category, uh, it also kind of opened the door to just looking around. You know, it's, it's kind of like, if, if you grew up in a little small town and went to the big city, and suddenly you're like, wow, hey, <laughs> look at all these things I, I never knew about. So I, I'm not saying, you know, I, I, I went into Buddhism or all those kinds of things, but but I was asking big questions. And the, the big one was, was about Messiah, because we'd always been told Messiah was coming. Where is he? It's translate. And so... It just happened that uh, an acquaintance was staying with our family a few days and and uh, was uh, part of the, you know, the, I guess, the Jesus people movement of the 60s. And they, they were pretty fired up. And and he, he he's holding a Bible and he says, have you ever read the Bible? And uh, I go, of course. We we more or less uh, wrote that. At least, at least the first five books we're quite familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> right. We got the publishing rights to that book. Yeah. And, and uh, he goes, no, no. I mean, have you ever read this Bible? So he hands it to me. And, uh, and I noticed it had a new part that our ours didn't have, the, the New Testament. So I go, no, I haven't read that version. He says, I, I recommend you take a look. So I, I read through... Uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and of course, uh, the language was a little unfamiliar. It was the King James Version. It wasn't quite the same as 
is our Bible. Don't, don't tell that to most Christians because they think that's the way God talks. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, I had to kind of work through that. But uh, by the time I finished the Gospel of John, my, I kept saying to myself, well, wait, wait a minute, did we miss something here? Uh, this is really seeming like the genuine article. And that's basically how I, I came to faith uh, in in uh, Jesus, we say Yeshua, uh, by reading reading the Gospels. And so, then, so it wasn't uh, as necessarily then, Rabbi Charlie, a sense of dissatisfaction per se in your your religious experience in conservative Judaism, but but rather yeah. what a sense of being a bit incomplete. It, it's like the whole the whole story hadn't been revealed. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I you know. It's not a thing that you would automatically do, I don't think. Like, for some people, some Jewish people, you, you do the exact same thing, and they finish reading it, and they go, so, what's new, you know? It, it, it had to do with something that God was doing on my heart. It, it was His sovereign call on my life that I was responding to. And I think when that's true, then you're you're more or less fulfilling the parable of the sower, because in the parable of the sower, not much happens until the seed is put on fertile ground. And and for uh, various reasons that, you know, we can't always know, God, God is operating in his own ways, uh, my heart was in a place that that was fertile soil. So I'm curious then, because some people are under the impression, and, and perhaps falsely so, that a person of a Jewish background who embraces Messiah then, quote-unquote, converts to Christianity. Do you see it as a conversion per se or more as a completion? In other words, you still, I would imagine, as a rabbi, fully embrace your Judaism with yeah. that completed component of recognizing and accepting the claims of Yeshua as indeed Messiah. Is that the way yeah, you would right. do it? So, you know, I find that kind of terminology unfortunate because conversion implies leaving something in the dust mm -hmm. you know and that's not our 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 life experience at all so uh, and completion has its own problems too i would say because then you're saying that you know a, a, a jewish person who loves the lord their god with all their heart soul and strength uh, is an incomplete jew well i don't know about that either Maybe in, incomplete in terms of where your faith could go and your knowledge of Messiah, but as, as a human being, as a, as, a, as a Jewish person seeking to fulfill the covenantal obligations of God and so forth, I don't know. I, think, I feel like those terms, while they're helpful in some ways for people to comprehend you know, this interesting path we're on, in other ways, they're not so helpful. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, does that complication come in because in an effort to try to, for example, explain to a Gentile mm -hmm. what all of this means, that the terminology, the language would be altogether perhaps different than were you approaching the self-same topic with another person of Jewish background? <laughs> right. Well, one, one major problem we haven't touched on is, uh, is there are certain aspects of, uh, of this that are... Are, that are there are preconceptions about, and uh, you know, in Christian space, you could say they're kind of like armed and ready to, to you know to take on certain certain things, locked and loaded, you know. So, uh, 
they maybe they think in terms of Jewish practice is like what what I've heard before is uh, a works righteousness, right? So we want to become righteous so we're accepted by God. So how do we do that? Well, we have a list of check boxes we need to do and and earn the merit points. But that's not the Jewish experience at all. Is not focused on that. But I think there's a perception out there. Uh, and so, again, reaching across some of these divides, you also you also have to deal with preconception preconceptions and uh, sort of prepackaged and delivered notions about some of these things. And so then from that perspective, are you also dealing with trying to, to sort of work through the, 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 the complicated language, I'll call it, not only in terms of, of, of overcoming some of the theological misunderstandings, but then perhaps to some of the cultural misunderstandings that, that attend to all of this, that, that just add layers of complexity, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of... Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, the reaction of people's, people sometimes, uh, especially when you get around, uh, you know, like Christmas, Easter, and, and other kind of uh, big uh, touchstones in the church. And, uh, our, you know, the thing of it is, is, as uh, you know, you could say our theology is is uh, consumable by by a by a Gentile or a Gentile Christian or whatever. It, it's it's it, it, you know I don't know kind of hesitate to use the word acceptable, but but uh, you know on the theological level we're seeing eye to eye mostly, and uh, you know of course even Christian denominations have slight theological differences between each other, but uh, on the we, I like to use the term. Ecclesiology, because I think a lot of uh, Christians understand that our ecclesiology is quite different, and so when you look at our, you know, quote sacred calendar, for example, what's on it? Well, that's why we all have Jewish calendars hanging in our kitchen because we're paying attention to those uh, those days and the cycle of the year, and uh, and so I think people sometimes focus more on the differences in ecclesiology and kind of get lost, you know, like, you know, the old saying, we can't find the tree for the forest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm afraid a big part of that is just either willful ignorance or folks that just for whatever reason have not taken the time to gain a better understanding. And, and I think it's perhaps demonstrative of a tremendous degree of ignorance. And I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> locked and loaded here now. <laughs> There's a yeah. tremendous amount of ignorance within the evangelical or, or broader Christian community because we just haven't taken the time to learn, you know. And yeah. you might say to, well, the, to, the, to the, the Messianic Jew, well, you know, so why are you celebrating Hanukkah, but not Christmas. Well, you know, there's there's a lot to unpack there, and and unfortunately, a lot of that misunderstanding is because we've just never taken the time to ask the questions and to listen. Yeah, and how many of us really know our history too, Christians and Jews? You know, and so there's there are a lot of things that have historical context, and you know, in the case of the Jewish people, it's a very troubling context vis-a-vis the church if you go back far enough now if we're just talking the modern era it's all hunky-dory and you know especially in america has been very good to the jewish people 
but you don't have to go back to to too terribly far and it's a different story you know the inquisition you could go back to 500 years ago or go another 500 years to the crusades and so on and and they're uh, you know i mean hurt, you know to say hurt feelings is not really deep enough there's some pretty deep feelings that run on both sides but 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 in this case i'm talking about uh the more of you know when you when you put it in the in the context of oppressed and oppressors you know uh the jewish people have a kind of a tale of woe there uh but part of it is yeah i understand the more i understand about our history i understand that it's not just black and white there are a lot of dynamics that got us to where we are today our conversation with rabbi charlie cohen of congregation samach adonai continues in a moment and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation with Rabbi Charlie Cohen of Congregation Shamech Adonai. Now, Rabbi Charlie, I want to come back to what we were discussing just before the break. Yeah, that's very true. And and I think that we need to be sensitive toward one another toward that end, that there are plenty of non-Jewish people that just either forgot or don't know the totality of the history, or see it uniquely from an American perspective and forget that, you know what, yeah, over the last 50, 60, 80 years, it's not been a horrific experience in America. However, uh, we certainly see to this very day plenty of cases of anti-Semitism creeping up in in various levels of of American culture and society, but, but to the greater degree of which the history is littered with some pretty sad stories that largely, you know, if it's not your story, you don't know it. And and I think that we need to do a better job of not only sharing the stories, but as I said a moment ago, of listening to one another, because I think we have a lot that we can teach each other. Yeah, right. Uh, Well, let me take the example. I'll give you the example because uh, this this would come up right away with a visitor. Let's say, uh, you know, uh, from from uh, the church, and so when they first thing when they walk into our sanctuary, it, it's a pretty Jewish space. Okay, they're cool with that, but they look around and and they'll they'll go, "Where's the cross? There's no cross in the front of the room. We're used to that, you know. In some cases, like in the Catholic Church, not only a cross, but there is you know Messiah up there on the cross, mm-hmm. and and so. But but for the Jewish people, unfortunately, the the cross itself is a is a problematic symbol. And if you go back historically, before the Crusades, the symbol of the, of the cross wasn't particularly offensive. It was seen as a as a, a symbol of of humility and sacrifice. But when the Crusaders uh, started you know, on their way to the prom, Holy Land, slaughtering a few Jews along the way. And, and holding up the cross as the symbol of their their right to conquer and uh, ruthlessly and unfortunately what does that symbol represent to to those Jewish communities that were liquidated throughout France and Germany and other places by the Crusaders and so that that's left some pretty sore wounds that have stuck and so we're, we don't put a cross up at the front of our sanctuary in deference to that. And uh, that's just one example, but I think that's an accessible example. 
And there are certainly many others out there. I mean, you think of pre-Nazi use of the Nazi-era use of the swastika, for example. It's an extreme case. You know, yeah. you, you see that in symbolism in, in Native Americanism, for example. Uh, there was nothing, no negative connotation placed on that whatsoever. In fact, here in San Francisco, there used to be a company called the Swastika Candy Company. It wasn't until that symbol was adopted by Nazism and then became, sadly, because of their behavior, associated with some pretty historical, horrible, horrific historical events that all of a sudden now it became tainted. And, you know, and I and I think it's important, again, there's there's a lot of learning that needs to be done from both sides and understanding some of the symbolism and the history behind the symbolism and why this can be problematic under certain circumstances, I think is important because, you know, we we need to be sensitive to one another. We talked, you know, before we came on the air today, the notion of being all things to all men that I might win some and that if Paul would see someone that perhaps would be offended by drink, he won't go there because he wants to be sensitive in all circumstances, understanding who it is that he represents. Right. And, it, you know, it occurs to me, even even with that that idea, I've become all men's, all people. Well, and then, you know, the, the, the person might say, but you don't act like me. <laughs> you don't do as I do. Well, that's not what we're really saying. We're, we're able to identify with all people and mediate the gospel message to them. But that doesn't mean we become like all people. Walk us through your experience as you began to investigate the claims of Yeshua. You looked at, began studying the New Testament. At one point, did you say to yourself, Rabbi Charlie, you know, I, I think this is the real deal here. And what was that transition like for you in, in coming to embrace Messiah? Yeah, I, well, first of all, as I said, uh, through the Bible, and there, there's a quality to the biblical story that, uh, if you're willing to ex- be open to it, uh, is incredibly a true, a true and authentic. And, uh, and, and that was, for me, it was impossible to ignore that. It, it wasn't... Yeah, to me, it had every bit of of of, uh, of the sense of truthfulness and authenticity that that the Old Testament, the Tanakh, has had for me at that time, and uh, and and I I was able to see uh, see that the that the Messiah was fulfilling a, a very long and ancient biblical tradition that there wasn't it, it, there was no this wasn't a new religion. In other words, to believe in this man, to understand that he he suffered and died for 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 humankind, this wasn't creating a new thing or a new idea. It was a fulfillment of something we'd been told for thousands of years. At what point did you begin to be open about your embracing? And I'm curious how your immediate family, your inner circle, how they reacted to that. Well. You know, at, again, I, I want to emphasize not everyone has this same experience, and I think it has a lot to do with with how God is dealing with your own heart. That you know, I could kind of leap and jump over some of the boulders in the path in order to understand what was going on there in terms of uh, spiritual truth, and so 
yeah, when I when I came to that understanding, I was all in. You know, this was like, okay, this is it. We're done here. Let's go. I just didn't know where to go with it in terms of of other people, especially other other Jewish people. It was a number of years until I even met another Jewish believer. But I was basically all in on conceptually. Uh, it just I couldn't go back to the synagogue to 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 really advance that path. So I looked for other ways to learn more about Messiah. Uh, yeah. Was there a sense at a time for you, Rabbi Charlie, that you felt as if you were kind of, uh, how should I express this, that you had your, you had feet in two different worlds, and by that I mean that, that yeah, like the, whole, the, whole, the whole deal within, within yeah. historic Judaism missing a component, but, the, but if you go to say, well, I'm going to go to a, a, a Christian church, well, there's a component missing there, too. Yeah, but, you know, talk about, you know, the left hand didn't know that what the right hand was doing. The left foot didn't know what the right foot was doing, <laughs> you know. And so I had some very uh, humorous and novel experiences, you know, that we didn't see that in the synagogue, you know. Um, you know, uh, like the time when uh, I saw this uh, visiting evangelist who was praying for people and they were falling down flat on the floor. And I was like, what is this? You know, I've never heard of this before. And so I, I, I walked, here's this old guy laying on the ground. The evangelist had just put his hand on his forehead and prayed, and he fell flat. And the floor was cement. And so I walked over. I was like, I got to know about this. So uh, and I kind of like tap, tap, hey, excuse me there, dude. You know, what, what just happened? And uh, he goes, I don't know, but but I feel light as a feather. I go, didn't your head just, you know, crash on the ground, the cement floor? Oh, no, I just floated down like a feather. And uh, and, and he was, you know, ecstatic in prayer. And I, I was like, wow, this is an interesting world right here. So there were a lot of things to, to see and learn and experience that I never saw, saw or even so much as heard about in the, in the synagogue. That was an eye opener. So that that journey, in a sense, can 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 be a little bit jarring, in so much as there are not only cultural differences, but certainly theological differences, or or at least theological leaps into areas that heretofore were were completely uncharted territory for you, completely unfamiliar with. And yeah. and so it's interesting because I think from a from a Gentile perspective, we think, wow, boy, you know all the history. You've got the foundation down here. You know things about the Old Testament we, we've never even begun to explore. And so we sometimes, I think, walk away with the impression that, oh, this is just going to be a piece of cake. You're just you just missing right. a little tiny part of the story here. And then, boy, you're 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 you got it. You got it nailed. Not recognizing, perhaps, that it's it's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, I know. And, you know, spiritual insight comes from God, not from your denomination or or your background. And I, I remember a friend of mine introduced me to uh, Don Richardson, who who uh, was uh, had a very interesting life as a missionary to uh, Papua New Guinea and other places. He wrote the book Peace Child and Eternity in Their Hearts and so on. And uh, I, I found that he was just in, in, incredibly insightful in terms of theological, uh, spiritual things, and and uh, I, I think it's it it really you 
it's it's really we're at risk i think sometimes to think oh well we have the truth you know we're like the older brother we know what's going on and uh anyone who has that kind of sense of spiritual super, uh, superiority uh uh it is going to miss is going to miss something in the in along the line because because you know the, the traditional Judaism has a lot to offer Christianity has a lot to offer and and uh, we're I don't know if you want to say that we're integrative between the two or if we're bridging between the two I'm not really sure sometimes but it's something to think about. Our conversation with Rabbi Charlie Cohen of Congregation Samech Adonai continues in a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation with Rabbi Charlie Cohen of Congregation Samech Adonai. Now, Rabbi Charlie, I want to come back to what we were discussing just before the break. Yeah, and it's perhaps, uh, you know, um, either both and or, right? Yeah. It, it, the answer is it just depends. But you, you, right. you've or, touched or as on... as you say, it's, it's not so simple. That's right. right. And, and I think you, you've also, at the periphery, touched on a very important point here that I think all of us at the end of the day need to be very, very mindful of. And that is that, as you've alluded to, Rabbi Cohen, that there can oftentimes be the sense that, well, because a person was raised in the Jewish faith, was practicing, went to synagogue, so on and so forth, that there is a some sort of a level of spiritual depth there, when in fact it can be no different than the individual who's shown up to church every Sunday at 11 a.m. for 50 years, read the Bible, and yet at the end of the day, yeah. is no deeper in their walk than somebody who's never read the scripture because they do not have a personal relationship. And I guess yeah. the, the the real key here when we when we speak to Messiah is the ability to be able to not just know of God, but know God personally. And therein of course lies the lies the as they say the secret sauce. <laughs> right. Uh, you know Going back to my uh, anecdote on Don Richardson, I, I heard him speak here in the Bay, in the Bay Area after I was introduced to him, and the topic was the four thousand year connection. Now, what he spoke of that day was on the promise to Abraham, and I'm not sure I've ever even heard a Jewish person really unpack that promise uh, to Abraham in the way that Don Richardson did. So. You know, when you find this kind of depth of spiritual understanding, it might even be in your own back, what you thought was your own backyard. In terms of the reaction by family and your your spiritual journey to eventually become a rabbi, walk us through that, if you would, please. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I, I, I didn't answer that question earlier. Uh, I think... Uh, because you know we were coming from as a family, kind of a space of uh, of uh, a Jewish uh, observance. I don't want to call it minimal. It wasn't minimal, but very typical uh, sort of uh, you know assimilated with respect to society and our careers and so on, and then maintaining our little Jewish corner over here uh, of what we do that's different and separate and. Uh, and but it wasn't like you could say like you know extreme or 
where where I was going didn't necessarily like get me kicked out of the family. Put it that way. So as long as I wasn't too, you know, like uh, you know, to use the term missionary, missionizing about it, uh, the family and they probably thought, well, this is just a phase; they'll grow out of it. <laughs> yeah, give him we'll, time; he's young yet. <laughs> right, we'll be back to our Passover seder in the normal way. Yeah. So. Uh, I just think they thought, well, he's young, he's a kid, this will pass. But, but I had found something that was truly life-changing. And, and over the years, they came to appreciate that. And even though maybe they couldn't go all the way theologically, they did appreciate uh, the impact that it had on my, on my life. And they saw then a, a genuineness about you in that sense? Yeah, right. So, you know, it was always like, uh, you know, at the holiday meal, you know, can you give the blessing? It was kind of surprising that that came ultimately, hmm. you know, and and uh, and I, you know, acknowledgement, recognition, if not, you know, total endorsement. But uh, but I would say, at least in my case, it wasn't like I was ostracized or kicked out of the family. That does happen. But uh, that was my experience. Did it take time for family to see your spiritual experience is not one where you were going to be leaving or abandoning your roots somehow? And, I, and I've always been quite curious about that anyway. I mean, it, once they're, they're your roots, they're your roots. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it took – well, I'm not sure if it uh, – because I, I never, like, became un-Jewish, you know. So – I think it was more of kind of perplexity, like where is this going sure. with you? Like, who are these new friends of yours? Once they saw that this was the real deal, meaning this was just not a phase that you were going through, that you would be on yeah. to, you know, the the next new idea <laughs> within a week yeah. or two. Uh, right. at, at at what juncture did you feel the Lord putting a calling on your life that you had more to share with others? Well, I think, you know, we, we each try to know and discover and walk within our own gifting. That's where you're going to be the blessed and others will be blessed the greatest. And, and right away, I, I want to say in a very, very short space of time, I knew that my gifting, a part of my gifting was, was to teach from the Bible. And, of course, I wanted to add this new component and teach that. So that was something uh, that came right away. And and wherever I lived or went, uh, it was usually in a very short space of time, wherever the pastor was or the leader would, would, would put me in a, a space to teach from. And then the only thing to add to that was the feeling or sense of a pastoral call. And, uh, and I did feel that in my 20s and I saw a seminary type of experience in order to pursue training for ministry but but you know at that time we're talking about the 70s and 80s uh, you know a, a traditional Jewish seminary wasn't really the the right thing for me and uh, oh by the way Craig we're getting back over right now I don't know where it's coming from uh, I didn't do anything different here. How about now? Yeah, because you were you were kind of fading slightly. Is that better now? 
Nah, that's a lot better. Okay. So a traditional Jewish seminary left out the Jesus component. Okay, that's not working. And uh, and by and large, the Christian seminaries had none of the Jewish component. So I just simply had to do the best I could and pick one. I ended up going to a Bible college and uh, was kind of odd man out there, but still I'm, I'm grateful for what I learned and was taught there. And that prepared me for for a pastoral ministry. Now, today, decades later, we have, uh, 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 there are uh, Bible colleges and seminaries that prepare you for this kind of ministry. From your life experience, um, as you're talking here to a very broad group of people, that can be approaching our conversation today as they eavesdrop in from a variety of of theological viewpoints, certain life perspective viewpoints. I, I'm curious, Rabbi Charlie, if you could answer two questions. Number one, from that of the perspective of the Jewish person back to Gentile believers, what do you most importantly want us to know when it comes to our interaction uh, you kind of alluded to this earlier. Sometimes the Christians, they meet a Jewish person who does not embrace Messiah and think, aha, boy, we got the big fish here. They're locked and loaded. They're ready to reel that fish in. And there's a bit of sometimes melodrama that attends right. to all of that. And, you know, I think we in all things need to be need to be respectful of people and and not to take the approach that we're somehow, you know, going to bash somebody over the head and show them how they're wrong, et cetera, et cetera. From your perspective, what are some of the most important things that a a Gentile believer ought to know when it comes to um, interaction with Jewish people that do not yet embrace Messiah? Yeah, it's a really good question. I can think of two important things right away. One would be worldview. And uh, my good friend, uh, Rabbi Dr. Stuart Dowerman, uh, from uh, down in uh, Fuller, Southern California, he he uh, has an analogy. I heard him. I heard him use this analogy, and I think it's a pretty good analogy. Where, where, um, if you are a visitor, uh, walk into a church, especially uh, this analogy. But you know, out of the blue, you walk in the door, new new guy, new lady, whatever. And uh, no one's ever seen you there before. What happens? Typically, what happens is, uh, of course, we want to know about this person. You know, uh, what happens is, is, is uh, you're going to be asked what you believe. Somehow, and, you know, might be casual conversation or whatever. But we want to know: Are you a believer or not a believer? What, you know, what's happening here? Are you a seeker just walking in the door to find out? Uh, and and so this is where it all starts is what do you believe and and of course if you don't believe the right things we're going to try to correct that so that you will believe the right things and then somewhere down the line will be uh, uh, we might be also interested in and uh, in, in your background you know in terms of what community are you from and so on and uh, and and then uh, finally, we we might we might put the idea of uh, of our community on the table to you, right? To uh, in other words, 
you know, to really know, maybe you've visited a few times or, or whatever, where you would fit into this community. But in the, you know, in the Jewish world, we can take that, we can take that and just flip it on its head. And so you walk into a synagogue and the first question is, are you Jewish? <laughs> in other words, are you somehow connected to this community through your Jewishness? Right? And, and then we might be interested in what kind of a person you are, uh, to know that a little bit. And then finally, the, somewhere way down the line would be, what do you believe? And so, uh, do you see how, how I mean? And the, and the two worldviews are just very, very different. So that, that would be one a- answer, which, which would be to understand, just to even understand that the, those worldviews are so different, I think is super important. Uh, for, for a person to try to have that conversation with a Jewish person. The second thing is uh, I like to use the word validation. And if you are unable to validate me as a Jewish person, if the first thing out of your mouth is, well, you can't really know God because you don't know Jesus, we're done. You know, the conversation is pretty much over. Uh, we brought this God to the table. You know, from which comes Christianity. You know, so uh, if there's no sense of validation for who I am and what I believe, uh, the conversation goes nowhere. So that's that's a showstopper right there. And let me flip that question now to the perspective of the Jewish person who is just dialed in by accident. And thinking to themselves, wait a minute now, I, I'm, I'm listening to a Jewish rabbi talking about Messiah. I, I don't get this, and I feel very intimidated by these Christians because I recognize that they have failed to validate me. To that person who just finds this a big curiosity, what would you say? See, I, I think that same conversation happens. I think one of the first things they ask me is, do you think I can know God, or do you think this is the only way to know God? And so they know this; they're sensitive to this. And uh, you know, if they are spiritual people, I mean, if it's just window dressing, that's one thing. But if, if they truly are people of God, and, and they're going to want to know how you feel about that. Our conversation with Rabbi Charlie Cohen of Congregation Shemach Adonai continues in a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation with Rabbi Charlie Cohen of Congregation Shamech Adonai. Now, Rabbi Charlie, I want to come back to what we were discussing just before the break. Let's pivot, if we can, Rabbi Charlie, to your local congregation, which we mentioned is meeting down in Los Gatos. You have your Shabbat services at 10.30 a.m. at 16735 Lark Avenue. Uh, Give us a little bit of a glimpse into the life and community of Shamech Adonai. Okay. Well, our our our, our service is uh, is a fairly a traditional on the on the model of a synagogue service. So you might not get all of the connections you were hoping to get when you walk in the door. Like you know, if you were looking for you know that immediate uh, that that uh, that immediate sense of oh, this connects all the dots for me now, you know. I got Paul, I've got Peter, I've got Apollos, <laughs> you know, and now I got this, 
you know, so we put all this all together. So the service, as I said, the ecclesiology is, is Jewish, and it's going to be unfamiliar some of it. And uh, but all, but eventually, what will come through, however, I, I think particularly I hear this a lot in, in our congregation, is it's 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 a very warm and human congregation, and 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 you I don't think you're going to feel as a Jewish person. Uh, necessarily out of place, and I don't think as a as a as a Christian, you would either. You're you're going to feel welcomed, and uh, hopefully, uh, and uh, and and things will eventually the fog will clear, and you'll understand what we're about, and that'll be good and right for some people, and 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 won't particularly, you know, uh, you know, t- check all the boxes for others. So that's just how it is. Give us a glimpse into the the life of the congregation there, and uh, multi variety. I understand on the website of, of of services that you guys offer and programs and things of that sort. Yeah, so let, let's start. I, I don't know if I could, Craig. This might be redundancy, but go back to this this uh, the Jewish model versus the church model. So first of all, you know, in, in the church world. If you're not showing up every week, you'll get a call from the pastor. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Where are you? <laughs> What's the matter here? You know, you're not here every week. But the Jewish world, that that's not true. Like you could go months and not visit the synagogue, and no one seems to be even worried about it. So uh, we find that more true with with our Jewish members and non-Jewish members. But they might not show up for a while. But it doesn't mean there's a problem. It's just that they don't have that experience that you're there every single week, you know. But we, we have kind of a revolving group in, in that sense. Of, uh, it might be a few weeks, you won't see uh, a person, and then they're suddenly there regularly and so on. It, it's just a little bit different of, a, of an experience. But we are, we're high on, uh, we are high on uh, teaching. We're very teaching-oriented uh, sometimes a little overkill sometimes. So we have classes in the afternoons, and, and anyone can drop in. We have Hebrew classes and, and uh, sometimes Torah studies or Bible studies and that sort of thing. And uh, and we do. That's kind of a Jewish thing. We, we want to break it down. We want to know what this is. And so we do. We have a lot of teaching uh, uh, and, and fellowship. So one thing that's common in the Messianic Jewish congregational world is to take this idea of having uh, having uh, you know coffee and uh, and uh, and donuts after the service, uh, which in and most synagogues is referred to as a oneg Shabbat, which means the delight of the Sabbath. Is to grab a cup of coffee and a donut and talk to the people after the service is over, and we take that farther with uh, with a potluck meal we share together, and uh, we do that every single week. You know, and, and so around the table, you actually get to know someone. And it's very uh, warm and engaging, uh, I would say. I, I remember uh, there was an older couple who, who would visit us fairly often from a synagogue in the Bay Area. I'm not going to name any names here. But one day I just said, uh, uh, you know, hey, Erwin, you know, wh- why do you come to our synagogue so often? Like, it, this isn't really like totally in sync with your theology. I know that. And he said, well, you're right. But the reason we keep coming is your your people are so loving and welcoming. Hmm. We don't get that same loving and welcoming experience all the time. And so that, 
I, I think Messianic congregational movement has really flourished partly on, on that basis. I remember uh, a few years ago there was a, uh, the leader of the largest uh, conservative synagogue in Los Angeles that was, I guess, interviewed, and they had a full-page thing spread in the L.A. Times. And uh, he kind of wrapped it up by saying, you know, there are certain things I think we need to change about how we come together. He said, we need to share food together. We need to, you know, have good music, sing songs, and uh, and maybe even have some Jewish dance. Well, he's describing a Messianic congregation. You know, they, these are the things that we're known for. So I, I do think the fellowship aspect is very important. At the end of the day, it all comes back to relationships, doesn't it? Both relationships yeah, abs- along yeah, the, it absolutely does. Along the horizontal and, of course, most I, importantly, along the vertical. I know as you build relationship, you know, you can deliver almost any message across a, a solid relationship. Indeed so. And words of wisdom from Rabbi Charlie Cohen, again from Congregation Samach Adonai. Their Shabbat services are at 1030 a.m. at 16735 Lark Avenue in Los Gatos. And you can get more information by going to the web. I'm going to spell the name for you. Go to www, of course, T-S-E-M-A-C-H. A-D-O-N-A-I dot O-R-G or you can call them at area code 831-477-7739 that's 831-477-7739 Rabbi Charlie Cohen we appreciate uh, both the time and the insights and having you uh, share with us some of your own um, life experience your own spiritual journey so thank you again so much for your time today okay Craig you're welcome I feel like uh As usual, we answer only a handful of the questions. Well, we appreciate the job that you did. And once again, Rabbi Shalom. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.